happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode number 265. Wow, on July 20th, 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School located on the beautiful University of Montana campus. I would say right here in Missoula, Montana, but tonight I am in Montana's capital city, Helena, Montana. Um, and it's beautiful here too. So join me tonight as always. Good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you? How are you tonight, sir? Well, as I greeted you as good morning, I'm a little maybe discombobulated, but <laughs> we, uh, we lost electrical power for 21 and a half hours and just had it restored, uh, about, about three hours ago. So we had, I think we broke state records. We, we hit it 111 yesterday, I think. Wow. And so, uh, it was really, really hot. And, uh, thankfully it wasn't a widespread power loss. Um, it was basically, it was a transformer that's just basically behind our neighbor's house, but it's buried. And, uh, I, uh, am considering this sort of a dry run to hope, well, hopefully, you know, no, no actual sustained power loss, but, you know, we've been through ice storms and, uh, usually it's wintertime when, when we, when, when folks lose power here and in our previous house we did, we, this is the first time we've had a sustained loss. So anyway, nice to have ice down the road and a friend brought over a generator and all that kind of stuff. So excitement, but tonight, Dr. Neifer, I'm wearing my, I don't know if I can even show it. Video is the pencil of the 21st century. So. <laughs> nice. I uh, got to uh, use that as a prompt in my workshop this last week for the Summer Institute in Digital Literacy. And anyway, I was wearing the shirt. So what are we going to talk about besides hearing me rant about uh, hot weather and power loss and uh, T-shirts? Are we going to do anything else tonight? Well, yeah, we've got a variety of articles from the last couple of weeks that talk about kind of technology issues. Uh, and what Wes and I do is we take those uh, articles and kind of shoot them through an educational prism and hopefully to provide some clarity and insight and maybe some new ways to think about things uh, for those that listen. And I just figured out how to turn on a light so that I can show up on the screen. I'm also in the witness protection program, apparently. But um, we have all of our links at our website, edtechsr.com slash links. And tonight we have potentially uh, links we'll talk about in things ranging from, and of course, I somehow just refreshed my screen. Um, I believe we have connectivity links. Oh, I know what happened here. Um, oh, whoa. <laughs> Uh, what just happened? You can you still see me, Wes? Yeah, no, you're good. Okay, well, um, I think I just accidentally told it to take the Screamyard page and clean up the article for printing, which is going to do me no good. But tonight, uh, the articles uh, that we have to share... I can read those if you, if you need me uh, to. I, I got to know, because some connectivity news, some social media news, Apple, uh, Google, Microsoft, our kind of typical look across the, the more hard tech news, our category called tech correction, uh, privacy, video conferencing, cryptocurrency, uh, some miscellaneous articles from from, from uh, the news, uh, some computer science uh, uh, news, uh, podcast news, hardware news, future uh, news, and then I also collected some articles on something that's happening right now in uh, a Netflix land that I thought may provide some insight um, for, um, uh, uh, and of course this is doing this weird thing again, um, uh, if, that may be useful. So Wes, are you on, are you in your Chromebook tonight or what? I am on my Chromebook tonight, but I think I'm just 
pressing rogue buttons, I think. Uh, maybe if I click on this, it'll go away. Yeah, hard to know here. So um, um, click here to exit the viewer. Yeah, no, no ideas. We're, we're just on the EdTech Situation Room, ladies and gentlemen. We put StreamYard to the test, so... I yeah, here, here. I was on basically an illegal Chromebook <laughs> that shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have been being run anymore. But uh, you know, such is life sometimes when you are between jobs and you're you know you don't have your school's laptop or a school yeah, laptop. Totally. But uh, it performed well, and I'm confident that uh, we'll be able to navigate these uh, these challenges. So I'm actually, I yeah, thank you for the bulk of tonight's links. I guess there's a few things that have been carried through, but. Um, I'm at your uh, direction here as far as where uh, where to begin. You want to talk about Starlink maybe? Just start off at the top. Sure, yeah. That's actually some connectivity articles, and I actually have kind of a personal thing I want to talk about in regards to that. So um, the there there's a big big update in Starlink uh, land uh, from SpaceX of the Verge report. This is on June 30th, but there have been a lot of articles on this the last couple of weeks as uh, people kind of come to light of, of what this means. But... Um, one of the restrictions of Starlink was that the technology was only usable in uh, one location. So in other words, you put a, 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 a kind of a dish or a receiver in your home or on top of your home, pointed in the right direction, and the technology um, was restricted to that. And I believe that that was a restriction put in place when um, they uh, submitted the, the for approval originally from the various government agencies that, that you need to do that with. But um, the, recently, they submitted for approval, um, and I think they're also working on some some specifics of the technology that it can now go on both a moving vehicle, but also it can move around. So they have specific RV plans. And the reason why this is personally interesting to me is that uh, my in-laws uh, have a cabin on the Missouri River uh, just southeast of Great Falls, Montana, my, my hometown, and uh, it is in a deep coulee, and it is nowhere near broadband internet access. It's about a 20-minute drive to get to the top of the coulee so you could access cell towers and Although they, now, you're they, saying coulee? Was that mean a valley? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, um, uh, it's a kind of a crevice in the earth that uh, usually goes down to. I think it usually goes down to a body of water. So in this case, um, the coulee uh, starts uh, on relatively flat land and then kind of digs its way into. Um, uh, it's kind of a crevice that digs until you end up in the the uh, the river basin and. Uh, on the Missouri River, and it's, I mean, it's nowhere near uh, cell signals. Uh, you need to go back up uh, to the top of the, the coulee to um, to access um, uh, cell towers at all, and even that is, is only two out of the three, um, uh, two out of the three uh, major carriers have any access there. Um, so, you know, when I go uh, and hang out at my in-law's cabin, um, it is an off-grid experience. And while that is, you know, uh, has its own delight sometimes, the bottom line is, is that that's meant in some cases that um, uh, uh, that I just don't, I mean, I, I just don't have access to the Internet. So if I want to work from there, for example, that's just not really a possibility. So my wife and I have talked about that uh, you have to, you know, there is a, an investment uh, in equipment. But the cool thing about the way Starlink does it is that you can buy it one month at a time. So if we decide we want to spend a week uh, uh, there, um, but be able to work from there, and then you don't know, have access to Netflix, right, uh, which we'll talk about later today, then one of the things that 
that that enables um, us to do is to you know buy a week or buy a month at a time. Um, you'll be able to access there, uh, you know, mostly for work purposes, um, and then be able to kind of join from there. So I think it's really exciting. And, you know, Starlink has made such a difference to so many rural Americans as broadband has become even more of a necessity during the pandemic that I'm glad to see that they're going in this direction. Awesome. I'm excited for you to put that to the test. And I know, you know, because of COVID, um, we've got, you know, way more folks learning online, working online, working from home, but also working from cool places. And yeah. so, um, I think, you know, the, the impact on the Ukraine war, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know how substantial it's been, but I know that that's been in the news and the press and, uh, you know, what a, what a big deal to be able to circumvent any kind of government, either censorship or, or just government and commercial lapses in service, because um, you're just directly connecting to space. So yeah. I think it's super awesome. And I'm excited to hear what you're going to find. Yep, me too. And then the other connectivity article uh, that I wanted to share is that uh, T-Mobile 5G home internet now is in 5 million uh, new addresses uh, in the middle of the country. And um, the T-Mobile uh, 5G internet is a, a, a cell-based service, but essentially it replaces a um, uh, replaces a, a wired broadband system. And if you are somewhere where they have 5G internet, um, uh, uh, that becomes a, um, a, a real viable opportunity for you. And it's, it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's $50 a month for um, relatively fast service. And right now it's only available to about 40 million American homes. And uh, the new expansion has uh, uh, more parts of, of Oklahoma, Colorado, Missouri, Iowa, and Kansas. And those would be states that and like every state has a, a, a you know some part of a, of, of a, a rural area, but those are states that, that would have, I would assume, greater need for alternatives uh, outside the major cities in those areas. But again, you know, for me, I think there's a lot to this, you know, providing alternatives. And even if you have good access, which I, I have pretty solid access, 400 down, 20 up for uh, 70 bucks a month, I think is what my internet costs for my local cable provider. They really are the only viable alternative, uh, uh, even DSL, um, it caps out a much, 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 much lower speed for in some cases, more, more, a more expensive service. So I think whenever we can provide more alternatives, I think it's going to help people continue to stay online. Yeah, absolutely. I was just, <clears throat> we're selling a bunch of books and getting rid of a bunch of stuff because we're about to move to North Carolina. And I was, I was, a, I think it's George Gelder, how infinite bandwidth is going to revolutionize the world or something. Anyway, is a book I read. Well, and Jason just disappeared. Speaking of bandwidth. Oh, but he's back. <laughs> speaking Sorry, of bandwidth and connectivity, it's the, it's the disappearing and reappearing Dr. Knifer. Anyway, that's a, that was a very Pollyanna-ish book about how, you know, fiber connectivity and bandwidth was just going to save the world and transform it in all of these positive ways. And there are positive ways that it, <clears throat> it continues to impact our world, but. There's a few negatives as well. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, and I would just mention one quick thing related to that. Um, I recently, um, I've been looking at, I, I, my passport expired and I, I, 
I don't have a couple of copies of, of some vital records um, that I would like to have in one location. And um, as it turns out, my social security card is not in super great shape. I, it's not my first one that was issued, you know, uh, 30 some odd years ago, but uh, I believe it was the second one I, I picked up uh, in my early career days. And it's just not in super great shape. So I, I wanted to get another one. And um, and the process is actually relatively easy to do so. Um, I had established a, a, that my identity in one way, shape or form that involved my mailing address uh, and then receiving a, a letter in the mail. But the, the thing that I thought was super interesting about that was that there really isn't a very good process for doing it in the face-to-face -face environment. They keep pushing you towards the online version of that. And there are a lot of government services that if not, if not online is the only way to do that, that in some cases, uh, it's just wildly more convenient to do so. Um, I ordered a copy of my birth certificate, for example, and the face-to-face -face process to do that was cheaper than doing it online because I did get charged uh, uh, some money to, to get a copy of that that, that record. But um, the, the inconvenience of the face-to-face -face was, was pretty extraordinary. So I, I think that that it, it's the oftentimes untalked about part of bandwidth and connectivity that is really critical that most government services now in 2022 require it. Absolutely. Well, even just to apply for jobs. I mean, there's, you know, fast food places and they'll have a console computer. I've seen that at McDonald's and other places, you know, right there. So if you don't have the access, but it is definitely an assumption on the part of many folks that you have a way to connect and Totally. Access your, your job application, access your insurance, you know, do, do all kinds of things. All right, cool. Well, Peggy noted that we, and welcome Peggy, um, we have a slew of links tonight, so, but lots of categories, perhaps more categories than, uh, <laughs> we have time for certainly. So, well, let's talk a little social media, Wes. Um, there's two stories I kind of want to uh, talk about together for a moment. Um, one of them is that, there was a pretty interesting article um, uh, in The Verge on July 7th about um, how uh, TikTok's so-called blackout challenge has now allegedly killed seven kids. And um, there are several lawsuits in play right now um, where students um, uh, uh, and, and I, I, I think what what they're referring to is the process of, of choking yourself. Uh, in fact, it says in the article, encourages users to choke themselves with belts, purse strings, or, or, or similar until passing out. All the children reportedly die were 15 or under. And, um, that, that there are a number of lawsuits right now in process. And one of the things that, geez, a couple of things about this. Like, obviously, you know, if you have, if you have, of, of, uh, children of any age that are impressionable, and really that's everyone, right? you as a parent want to be very proactive about monitoring internet use. And I think that's more important than ever, uh, uh, to be quite frank. And, and uh, in my humble opinion, more important than even it was 20 years ago when the internet was a bit of the Wild West. Um, but then secondarily, the thing I was looking at here is that um, apparently um, uh, when you typed the blackout challenge into, uh, into search, um, this kind of weird graphic comes up that says your safety matters. Some online challenges can be dangerous, disturbing, or even fabricated. Learn how to recognize harmful challenges so you can be uh, protect uh, your health and well-being. Um, uh, and then view resources. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but what I don't get about that is that um, were they showing them the videos anyways and just doing this cheesy "don't try this at home" message? Or you know, it's I, I just I feel like that that there is a bit more responsibility on behalf of 
platforms that do largely cater to younger viewers, you know, to shut this down, right? That, that, um, you know, there, uh, obviously the, the, the challenge issue that happened last school year, um, you know, including the, the kind of bizarre school shooting rumor challenge that ended up and then the, the destruction of bathrooms and school property, you know, at a certain point, you know, what responsibility, especially since a lot of the people posting this are under 18, under eight, under 18 themselves, what responsibility does TikTok have to both help mitigate this, but also do something once they know a challenge is is is, is actually uh, you know spreading um, virally, which I'm not sure if that's a word or not, um, uh, uh, throughout social media. So, uh, Dr. Fryer, any thoughts there? Well, I think I've, I've got an article about TikTok to to discuss as well. Um, yeah, the mo- the monitoring is essential, and I think that. Isn't it weird how we've had, I mean, there, there have been some major lawsuits and fines for some companies because of uh, COPA and FERPA and requirements to not gather information about, you know, minors and, and kids under 13. Um, it's just so bizarre. And, you know, this is a question for this fall, uh, especially, you know, if you're teaching, well, middle or high school, but, but I would say just what, the percentage of kids that you teach are using social media and how many of them are on TikTok. And I would predict that if you're, you know, teaching middle school or high school, that a large number of kids are, are using that platform. So yeah. it's really kind of bizarre because we, we hope we have this ideal that, you know, our laws are going to protect us. We're going to have laws that are going to regulate and, you know, uh, defend the youth and, and just, and be wonderful. But, what I what I've seen certainly over the past three years teaching middle school and I'm going to keep on teaching middle school in North Carolina um, is that there's just a heck of a lot of kids that are using these platforms before they're legally able to do so. But even more kind of troubling there. I just don't think there's a lot of parental supervision and even awareness um, about a, a lot of things. And so we may have had we, we missed, of course, last week, but one of our recent shows, <clears throat> there was some discussion. I think it was the FCC chair was talking about the threat of TikTok. And we've, we have, you know, very credible people who are, you know, I don't think just having a political play around this and around TikTok. And um, there's just a whole, whole host of issues that are yet unresolved and are ripe for conversation, certainly to encourage parents to be having conversations with kids and to be monitoring um, you know, beyond that, uh, I, I, I don't know, but it seems like, it seems like some regulation is needed and, but you know, we have regulation and it's not doing anything in my mind really to, um, you know, prevent a, a lot of probably unintended consequences on the part of parents when they, you know, give their kids a, a phone or let them access the internet. So hopefully, um, TikTok will find a way to, uh, to, ad- to address this kind of thing, but it's just so hard with, with the quantity of information that's out there and they just have some pretty formidable challenges. Yep. Totally. All right. Well, go, go ahead. Did you have, want to talk about another one? I've got a TikTok article, but I can do mine. Why don't you do the TikTok article and then I want to kind of switch social media focus a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I originally put this under <coughs> uh, tech correction, but I just moved it up to social media. Uh, this is an Ars Technica article from July 15th. And it says TikTok <clears throat> resists calls to preserve Ukraine content for war crime investigations. And um, 
unless you're sleeping under a rock in the United States, you're probably aware that there are some ongoing congressional hearings that are happening around January 6th and <clears throat> around um, all of those events. And as we talked about on the show, you know, months ago when Parler was out and there was all this video, you know, social media documentation of things that occurred on January 6th and then also, you know, before and afterwards are pretty significant. Well, there are so many folks, not just in the United States, but worldwide, including in the Ukraine, using TikTok that um, it is evidently a, quote, trove of digital intelligence that lawyers want to archive. But uh, the issue is, of course, it's China owned. And when a different entity wants to, you know, access this, it's just it's just different than the processes that we have in the United States for doing this. <clears throat> and basically, TikTok is not is not cooperating um, with investigators and you know, even I mean, these can be lawyers and activists and, and all kinds of folks. Um, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. It's also just kind of crazy. Again, here, I'm going to let my kid get on TikTok. Uh, I mean, Instagram can be the same way there. There's a whole host of objectionable content out there on platforms. And that is not to say that the platforms are terrible and they have no use because they're all just 100 percent full of filth. I don't believe that is that is true. I, I, I live a life that shows the benefits, I think, of social media because my life is enriched and my learning is is stretched in really, really positive ways basically every single day because of social media. But the fact that we've got live footage from a war, you know, being shared basically unfiltered on a platform that is not a United States platform. In fact, it's a Chinese platform. And it's not even for a company that's a social media company. It's an AI company with some really, really smart people that have figured out a way to ingest tons of video every single day. But again, I think this is an article that would be excellent to talk with parents about, to, to talk with students about. One of the things we need to, to discuss with, with everyone, but students in particular, is that, you know, there's there's stuff you just shouldn't go out there and search for and there are things that you can't unsee. And there's trauma that can be associated with just visually seeing stuff. And we have sometimes people saying, oh, it's just the screen and it's not real. But the trauma can be real <clears throat> for, for, uh, for visual media. So any thoughts about that one, Dr. Neifer? Yes, as a matter of fact. And uh, the, the it's just extraordinary to live in a time where everyone has a camera, right? And and I actually, I did a keynote address a couple of times 10 years ago about, um, about uh, thinking a lot about how much things have changed since 9-11. And one of the things that has really changed since then is that we all are now carrying effectively a high-end television studio in, in, in our pockets. And um, one of the things that is true about 9-11, and I think a lot about 9-11, uh, from the standpoint of I was in a classroom that day and uh, teaching social studies. And so I spent really two or three weeks processing that event with kids on a daily basis. And um, one of the things that I, I, uh, I remember very acutely uh, uh, from that time was that, um, uh, you know, to investigate those crimes, 
they had to spend a lot of time um, uh, kind of collecting other people's photographs. And there were tons of photos. Some, there were some blurry cell phone photos. I believe that, that uh, uh, very early cell phone cams were available on a handful of super high-end devices, but otherwise it wasn't a factor. And then otherwise people were carrying around relatively low-end digital cameras. Uh, those were a real factor in, 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 in that. And then of course, camera cameras. And they did collect tens of thousands of images, lots of People took photos that day once the events got started uh, uh, that morning. But it's just different in 2022 from the standpoint that not only can, you know, can literally anyone relatively expensively uh, uh, carry around a device that you can record a video onto, you can also broadcast that live to the world with just a couple of clicks, right? Anyone can create an account that broadcasts live on Facebook. Anyone can create an account that broadcasts live on YouTube. And once you have that, and by the way, um, anyone can broadcast via StreamYard if they wish. The free account uh, does an excellent job of, of providing a de facto television studio. Um, I think it's super cool that Wes and I are able to do this every Wednesday. We've got our little lower thirds here, and I'm on one side of the screen and Wes is on the other. Um, um, but that, you know, that's an easy technology. We don't do this because we're nerds. We could set something up that is pretty nerdy. And in fact, the early days of this podcast, it was, but this is effortless for us to do this part of, of the podcasting process. And, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure if our culture is caught up with that yet in that, um, you know, there are literally, uh, you know, an opportunity to collect thousands of times of more information than would be needed to be able to record these pieces. Um, that's useful maybe in the prosecution of war crimes in the, in, in, in the war in Ukraine, but you're exactly right. There's, there's a downside to that. And I'm not sure if everyone needs to see everything live that's happening in an unfiltered way. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't have any answers to that question and maybe I'm just proposing more questions than I am providing any insight, but it's still something we're not thinking about enough about. Well, one key we can, I think we can say for sure is that we need to talk about these issues and we need to discuss them not only among educators, but among parents. I'll be eager to see what my new school is doing with regard to parent education. Um, you know, the <clears throat> seven years I was at, at my previous school, um, I ended up, you know, being involved quite extensively in what we call the parent university program, series of programs. Um, I'd like to say it was just amazing all the time, and we did lots and lots of them. It it, it actually kind of went in, in starts and and fits, and there were different <clears throat> reasons for that. But um, the the opportunity for dialogue is it, around these issues is, is so important. So I would encourage everybody to talk about TikTok with students. Um, talk to uh, parents about them and and some of the most successful conversations that we had in that series were student panels where we had a topic i think the last one we did was around social media influencers but you know the influence that different individuals wield today on tiktok on youtube instagram snapchat um to a lesser degree you know twitter not really facebook but anyway it's enormous and you're right, Jason, um, our headspace has not caught up to that reality, even though video is the pencil of the 21st century. Um, we're not really thinking about that a lot uh, in terms of literacy and the kinds of like required conversations we should be having because it really didn't, oh, you take an elective, you're gonna go down to computer and talk. No, this is like life, this is culture, this is information sharing, uh, this is 
you know, the way governance, you know, functions. And so, so many important reasons to have these conversations and wrestle with them as we attempt to do here on the EdTech Situation Room. Yep, totally. Well, and I want to share one other uh, observation um, that, that, that has happened to me recently that, that's changed my relationship with Twitter a little bit, but I really wish I knew which uh, Twitter user I picked this up from. I just saw this as a side note four or five weeks ago. I can't find the tweet now. Someone I was following, I think, but she suggested to take a strike against artificial intelligence and uh, don't see what Twitter wants you to see, see what you want to see. And you can actually click on, there's like a little, a twinkly star button on, on the homepage of Twitter that allows you to change the feed from home to a time-based feed. And the reason why that was so profound for me is that it really did change what I saw on Twitter. And what that does is that the home essentially sends you tweets it thinks you want to see, right? And to be frank, that also means that uh, it's it's guiding who my go-tos are. And I imagine if I like a tweet, it's more likely to send me something from that um, from that 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 creator. If I uh, uh, like a, a different tweets from different creators that are, are about the subject it thinks it's about, right? Because it would be an algorithm or some kind of AI that determines what the topic of a tweet is, right? And I imagine there's lots of both non-nuanced and nuanced ways it's doing that. But when you go to your timeline, it takes your your those that you follow, um, and um, it 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 just gives you them in order uh, from most recent to 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 uh, on back. And so it's really interesting. A couple of, of years ago, uh, in twenty twenty, uh, during the whole Black Lives Matters uh, 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 protest in in I think June of that year is when when those protests were. Um, uh, happening across the United States, um, I went out of my way and took a suggestion from a friend of mine uh, that was on Twitter that I should go out of my way to follow more black educators on Twitter. And w when looking, I saw that, that I, I, I had a relatively diverse timeline, I think, but, or, or we were always following, but, you know, I, I wasn't seeing discussions, uh, as much as I probably should be seeing in regards to, um, really, uh, uh any equity issue, uh, as, as it happens. And I, I like to, to see tweets that, that, that help me think differently or challenge me or, or, or disagree with me even, um, because I think that's important both to understand my own views, but also to kind of plug widely into, to, to K-12 education. And so, um, a lot of those creators I was following, I wasn't seeing, um, uh, them in, in, in home. And maybe it's because I wasn't going on my way to like tweets. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it might be the case, but a lot of, uh, Twitter users that I've followed in the last two years that I think could help challenge the way I think um, weren't appearing in my timeline. I turn it to time magically; it, it it becomes more of that. I also had some 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 people I was following that I was wondering why I was seeing their tweets, and then I look, it's like, no, I'm not sure why I'm following you. You're not doing anything for me. Uh, that I unfollowed when I discovered that. And and to be clear, I flip back and forth between the two. I don't use one or the other, mm. but it's a little Twitter hack, right? That I think could really change, you know, how Twitter looks. And I follow a diversity of political views. I follow a diversity of education views. I follow lots of educators that I don't particularly agree with or necessarily disagree with either. But I, I 
like to, to, to think about that. And it's pretty hard to think critically think about your own views if you're not, um, you know, uh, accessing people that disagree with you. Yeah. Well, I would also give a, an encouragement to everybody to use Twitter lists. I, yeah, I don't absolutely. know how much those are utilized, but I mean, yeah, I, love I have it. a crazy number of lists now. And I'm pretty sure that the list does present a chronological uh, feed. That That's the way right. I think Twitter purists experienced it in the early days. And honestly, I, I'm glad for you to share that because I think it's something I've heard about, but I hadn't actually changed. So I went ahead and, and switched mine to uh, the chronological. And, um, you know, algorithms are powerful. We It's, again, another conversation we need to be having uh, with everybody, not just with students, about the power of the algorithm. Uh, and then we need to, from a regulatory standpoint, think about the opacity of algorithms. Uh, you know, and a, a case example is, you know, there have been instances in Facebook of, um, you know, companies violating the law with the way that they marketed their their homes uh, and their properties, you know, excluding uh, African-Americans uh, or, or excluding certain other people that, um, you know, the law says you're not supposed to discriminate against and exclude. So there's a whole lot going on. It's really hard slash impossible to, to have your finger on the pulse of that, even if you're a regulator or whoever you are, work for a nonprofit, any group, law enforcement. Uh, it's just really hard because of of the way that uh, our laws are, are written now and also just the quantity of information. So, oh, Peggy, you're asking how to make a Twitter list. I'm so glad you did. Um, I actually have a uh, workshop. It's one of my favorite ones and I haven't done it for a while, um, but I like to call it discovering useful ideas. And so I will drop the link to that in there. Um, you can also just go to wfriar.me slash ideas. I think I've decided, Jason, I don't know if you've seen this, but have you seen the platform Teachable? Have you seen? Yeah, I have seen Teachable. In fact, very recently I was looking into Teachable. Yeah, I think I'm going to start creating some little mini courses on Teachable. Uh, one of the first ones I want to do is going to be about protecting your family online and yourself, kind of like my my last TEDx talk. But but this uh, another one would be um, this whole discovering new ideas and just leveraging social media, training the algorithm, being aware of how the algorithm works, and then taking some proactive control rather than just like, oh, I wonder what's on my feed. Wait a second. How can you adjust that? You could use the hack that you just talked about. You can create lists, and lists allow you to have a filtered a filtered feed. So instead of the whole enchilada of everybody that you follow, you know, for instance, we're going to North Carolina. So I've started a, a Twitter list for North Carolina educators. They use the hashtag NCED, which is the hashtag that a lot of the, the educators and teachers in the state use. But I've done that in Oklahoma. I've, I do that for a lot of different contexts, but, but it's cool because it allows me to see a subset uh, and pay attention to those voices and I, I really, really think that is um, a best practice for using social media is using different kinds, whatever you want to call this, hacks, techniques, strategies um, to play with the feed of information and to take more assertive control over it, but also to be aware of the way that, you know, the creators of algorithms and programs may be trying to, you know, push your attention or, or shift your attention. And, and that may be fine. It may be great. I may want to see trending tweets or, you know, just, just see things that the algorithm is deciding. But the fact is we don't have access to the algorithm to know exactly how those things are being done. And so when you can exert some, some um, 
you know, free toy, free can, you can exert your will a little bit on the algorithm and um, have have a bit of agency over it. I think that is a, a excellent thing. Peggy asked where you keep the list, so it's on your your uh, Twitter account. So when you just go to Twitter and go to your um, your your channel ID over on the left side, um, there, I guess. Oh, interesting. I guess now it's under more, huh? They've changed it on mine. Uh, so I have to tap the three dots underneath the profile icon. And then I've got like communities, lists, topics, moments. I'm a Twitter blue subscriber. So I get that newsletters, Twitter for professionals. I don't even know what that is. Um, but it, it's the second one. There's lists. And I didn't put this in there, but Jason, did you see you can co-tweet with people now? You can invite someone to co-author a tweet. Oh, no, that is super interesting. I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah, that just came out, I think, last week. So, Well, and, and I also say one other way I use lists is that um, I have a Montana news feed list where I, I don't follow. Well, I think I may follow some newspapers, television stations, et cetera, but what I follow there is journalists. Uh, because uh, a lot of journalists, in fact, I think Twitter's amazing for, for journalists um, that uh, because oftentimes they, they'll be covering stories uh, and you'll get some live action from the story. But more importantly, um, uh, uh, there are um, um, there are sometimes comments and actually discussions between journalists that can be oftentimes very enlightening. But I subscribe digitally to a couple papers in Montana, uh, but... I don't have time to go to the other ones uh, across the state. So in the morning, I'll spend 10 minutes looking at my my Twitter list of Montana journalists, and that will usually share with me what the headlines are that morning, and I'll do it again in the evening, and that's my coverage of, of Montana news. And so I cover journalists in uh, Montana public radio journalists, a number of television journalists, a number of newspaper journalists, a handful of national journalists that report on Montana issues, and it's it's been a real game changer for me. So, so I put a link to mine and here's Jason's. If you just go to somebody's Twitter channel and do slash lists, then you'll see the lists. And Peggy's saying she has some, she's not sure how she got them. You can actually follow lists that other people have created, um, which is great. And one of the things I've done and, and seen others do for some different conferences is just to create a Twitter list. You know, here's folks who are here and who's, who are interested in, in this topic and, um, I probably have said this before. I think you follow this list, Jason, but I love GigaOM back in the day. So I just made a Twitter list of the authors because GigaOM broke up and everybody went to different places. So I have my GigaOM list and I still use that. So it's like I read GigaOM. It's just that all these, these journalists work for different organizations now. Um, but it really, it's very, very powerful. Um, and, and I think that introducing folks to Twitter lists um, is an example, like I said, of taking some more agency over our social media and being right. aware of how it works and, you know, curating our feeds and hacking our mind. I'm telling my wife, I think she should be doing a class about this because she's doing all kinds of health coaching and boy, health and, and weight loss and all that can be a real uh, confusing mess to decide who do I believe and all this kind of thing. But, you know, the fact is we all we all have records that we play in our heads over and over again and in in terms of of politics or um just you know wellness and helping students have positive self-image i mean there's all kinds of reasons why the sort the, the things we tell ourselves are important and as i've grown older <clears throat> i get a, a i guess more of an appreciation of, of how vital that is that you don't want to simply turn on the television or open up your phone and just wow i wonder what I'm going to be pushed to 
be emotionally, you know, excited or mad or whatever about. Um, because yeah, the, the, the algorithms and the platforms are constantly trying to draw us in the documentary, the social dilemma really went into that a couple of, I guess now that's yep. been a couple years ago. Um, and so anyway, it's, I think it's a, I think social media is very positive. I think there's lots of great potential, but I also think that the psychology here, um, you, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, there was an analogy in the social dilemma about, you know, the supercomputer that, that people are basically, you know, we don't realize sort of what we're up against in terms of the ways in which companies and, and individuals, but mainly companies, are really trying to hijack our attention. So all of these are excellent, excellent conversations. And it's a dynamic moving target, right? Because there's the blackout game on TikTok and whatever. I mean, there's all these different things that are happening. Um, so it's important to be in conversation to be aware of the issues and also help people make good choices about those yeah. things. That's what media literacy is all about, really. Well, and one other note about list, uh, how do we end up in a Twitter list rabbit hole? But um, the other cool thing about list is that you don't have to follow someone to put them on their list. So if there's someone you just want to keep an eye on, you can make a list private. And in fact, I think I actually have a private list that is basically the people that I want to keep an eye on, but I don't want to give them the benefit of follow. Um, and yeah, that's another way I use it. And, you know, Twitter itself, I mean, there's some UGG about all social medias, but Twitter, I think, has maintained a pretty decent, it, it seems to be somewhat better than uh, the other ones, especially in context of, 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 of professional chatter, right? Um, but, you know, that curation piece of it is just such an important way to make sure it doesn't get away from you. Twitter is... We could do a whole show on Twitter. Maybe someday, Jason, we should. Yeah, do maybe that's a good idea. So, I mean, or just yeah, do it. Do a conference session on one. Um, their API has been more open than Facebook and some other platforms, and they've reined some of that in with like third-party apps and whatnot. But there's a lot of there still are a lot of different ways uh, to, if not hack Twitter, just you know using it in in very interesting and and powerful ways. And one of them, and I finally, I've been doing this for a while and I'm finally owning it. You know, Twitter is my primary way to trap information and go back to it later. So I updated my, my main media literacy site this last week. We had the summer Institute in digital literacy, you know, and I'm, I'm now calling myself a uh, conspiracies and culture wars researcher, because this is my ongoing inquiry project. But if you search Twitter for the hashtag con CW, C-O-N-C-W, and then at W Fryer, and then you, instead of, um, you know, top tweets, you, you click latest, you have a chronological view of every single article or resource that I have ever, <laughs> you know, run across and shared. And I just find that so powerful. And that's why, by the way, and we could talk about an Elon Musk article, um, you know, I, I want Twitter to... I don't want it to lose its mojo. You know, I want it to continue to be the incredible platform it is. One of the thought on Twitter lists that I just discovered, I most of my lists have been public. And so I will then use those in Flipboard. And that's how on a base, on basically on a daily basis on my iPad, I am reading the news using my Twitter lists on Flipboard. But I found out recently uh, that if you make a Twitter list private, even though it's yours, you can't do that on Flipboard. You have to be on oh, Twitter that makes sense. in order to see it. Um, and it's interesting because 
and this is something to be aware of with our kids too. I mean, we may be researching, you were talking about nice to add to a list, but not follow them. You know, we want to be savvy to our digital footprint. And yeah, sometimes if you follow somebody, certainly if you retweet them, you become associated with them and, um, and that idea or whatever, you, you know, you got to be careful, but, um, you, um, we need to be careful when we give assignments to students, um, because whether it's YouTube or Twitter or something like that, if we're asking students to do particular searches and to click things like that becomes or can become part of their digital footprint, it can then influence the algorithm and the things that they see that they're presented with. Uh, there's just a host of different issues. And in my case, uh, what I'm thinking of is, you know, sometimes you, you want to look into things and research things and can have a really good, you know, academic purpose for doing that, but you may or may not want, Oh, wow. Look at that. I guess he's into this, you know? You, so if you have a Twitter list about something or whatever, sometimes it is good to, to make it private or to consider the things that you are sharing with the world because, Hey, anybody can put the word lists after your Twitter ID and they'll see all of your public lists. They won't see your private list, but they'll see all your public lists. So, Hey, totally. look at that. Peggy even found the, the page. So yeah, that's it. That's immediateliteracy.westfire.com slash con CW. And then I just, um, I actually have at the top of that it, for the latest, you know, and it's just a link that you click to, to do that kind of a search, but I don't know how many people are doing this for this show. I haven't said it in a while. And Jason has done like, seriously guys, 95% of the links tonight. So don't think that I'm any kind of like achiever tonight, but, um, I love using the hashtag EdTechSR because I have an uh, if this, this is a real geeky thing, but I love it. I have an if this, then that recipe, which is always watching my Twitter. And when I use that hashtag, it takes the text of that tweet and it puts it in a document and in Google. And then I'm, I can make my link. So anyway, I've got to spend more time than I have this last week putting those together, but what a phenomenal tool for saving your information, trying to get to it later, sharing it with other people, uh, and then even being able to curate um, that information. Because wasn't it like bear trapping your information? Or what was the session that, that you did uh, years ago? Yeah, tra trapping was, uh, yeah, the, I was using an animal metaphor for that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was a Montana metaphor, man. It was, it was <laughs> trapping. But anyway, you've got to, everyone needs a way to, to be capturing information and finding it later. So you've got to have some kind of meta tag, some kind of, you know, something that you're going to, will enable you in the ocean of content that is out there to be able to, oh yeah, I know I saw that. I know Peggy shared that great resource the other day. I wonder what it is. And Twitter's a great way to be able to do that with its powerful search algorithms. Yeah, well, and I'm wondering if maybe I should re revive that presentation actually, because it's, it's the core, the core concepts are still uh, incredibly important, but that's, that's the difference between using your phone for kind of mindless doom scrolling and using your phone to actually inform yourself, right? And that's something that I, I still don't think we have enough conversations about with kids, right? That the bottom line is, is that I don't, it, it's not, it's not about devices yes and devices no. It's, it's really not about that at all. And in fact, I, I, I it's interesting that a lot of prominent, um, kind of like medium techie, uh, uh, presenters and, and thought leaders are starting to be where kind of well, I, where I was at, uh, five or six years ago, which is that I think it's maybe dangerous that we're giving unbridled access to, to devices without at least being thoughtful about how we're implementing them inside of classrooms. Um, but 
I, I, there's, there's also a point here, which is that it's, it's, it's just not complete enough to say we should ban, we should ban devices, we should keep about all the time. It's, 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 it's more nuanced than that. In that, if we're not taking the time to teach kids how to use them appropriately, instead of just handing them this incredibly powerful and also dangerous tool without giving them even lesson one about what this looks like, no wonder they're deferring to uh, a, a pretty, um, uh, you know, low protein, um, uh, a use of, of their phones because the bottom line is is that if doesn't someone doesn't tell them otherwise it's not like the phones are the phones are set up in a way to where they're productive or there are workflows available to use them as productive productive tools um, and uh, yeah so and that's another rabbit hole that I think we probably went down relatively recently. time is slipping away from us let me throw another t uh, TikTok article in quick this was from a couple of weeks ago uh, but this is Ars Technica on June 29th. Headline, TikTok can't stop users from doxing the Supreme Court. Uh, this was following the uh, Roe, Roe, versus Roe v. Wade decision, uh, which, you know, has a lot of a lot of people upset. The word doxing. OK, how many teachers at your school today know what that means? Uh, doxing means when someone on social media is publishing private confidential information. Now, in this case, I guess this was about the Supreme Court and they were saying, you know, some of this information was public, but when they're putting it in a way to say, here, go harass this person, <clears throat> you know, this is something to, something to talk about. So, you know, we, we have people who, who are upset about different issues and, you know, social media can be weaponized. Um, I remember I had one of my sixth graders, you know, joking about, uh, you know, something that he would, would do on social media uh, to others. And I was like, that that is not a joke. That this is, these are real tools. They have real power. You know, I, I always want to encourage kids to use their tools for good and not for evil. But anyway, TikTok, um, this also is just showing what a huge platform it is and the, and the huge, massive challenges at scale that these these platforms face from trying to to manage content and trying to regulate it and, and trying to censor it. Um, and in, in this case, they were utterly failing to, you know, stop people who are very mad at the decision from actually doxing U.S. Supreme Court justices. So in some cases, he's just like putting out their credit cards and things like that. And this article didn't actually verify if indeed, you know, those were the credit card numbers for for the justices. I mean, it could have been. Could have been other things, but um, it's a wild west out there, kids. But it's certainly what Jason said, not just a simple binary on off. Yes, no, no, you know, ban social media. I mean, this isn't this isn't happening. So we need to wade into the, the messiness to a degree um, and have important conversations about what it is we're going to to be doing, how we're going to use these tools and hopefully do that in a constructive way. So. Oh, uh, Peggy's asking a question about the list. So yeah, when you look at a list, you like that, I don't have control over, over that, but in terms of the, the feed, like when you view, when you're just viewing a list. So when you click on one of those lists, like if you uh, view my Yoda's list, <clears throat> so that's W Fryer slash lists slash Yoda's, which is a shout out to star Wars. Um, that's about a hundred folks that I just really, really like following all their stuff. Um, at the um, this at the top of it, unlike your regular Twitter feed, it doesn't give you a choice to 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 say latest or whatever. It just shows it to you 
and they're all chronological. So like I just pulled that list up and Dean Jureski's on it. And the top, and the most recent thing that any of those hundreds of people have shared is Dean Jureski nine minutes ago um, talking about how he lost his golf clubs. <laughs> but anyway, that's just the, the latest thing. And you can put cute little uh, banners of images at the top of your lists, like I have Yoda with a lightsaber. We're really way off topic, Jason, and we've barely covered articles tonight. I know. That's, yeah. I mean, this, this is what happens when we haven't talked for a while. So. Yeah, actually, I think that's exactly it. So um, well, we yeah, got to do a few more. So what, yeah. what just a hot topic that you definitely, you know, needed to, to educate us on tonight. Well, let's talk about Netflix for a couple minutes. Um, and maybe this is another rabbit hole, right? Maybe we should just change uh, 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 the podcast to EdTech Rabbit Holes. But um, <laughs> there's been a lot going on with Netflix this year. And while it uh, it doesn't have a direct application to education, other than if you're taking advantage of the licensing, I believe that they offer for documentaries for for K-12 schools, and that, that I'm going off of uh, some light memory there. Um, um, but the the bottom line is that Netflix has been really in a challenging situation for the last uh, a couple of months because they lost a bunch of subscribers during the first quarter. I think it was 600,000, and they lost another million subscribers, I think 1.2 million, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, in the second quarter, and that, those numbers were released in the last week. And um, the, um, the reason why this is super interesting to me is that um, um, the, uh, they're now questioning the model, right? At one point, Netflix was kind of the darling of streaming services, really was the first, uh, uh, preliminary or, or very positive streaming service that was a, um, um, uh, that was a part of, uh, the kind of streaming revolution. Um, uh, but now they're talking about what to do about this, right? And, all these options are super interesting because I think they take away from the um, 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 uh, what they take away from some of the magic of this of the, the platform, right? So uh, some of them I don't really care about. Uh, like for example, they want to crack down on password sharing, and while I've never taken advantage of that, like the bottom line is is that they can't make money if people are taking their four screen service and sharing it with four households, right? That by the part, way, Spotify has always done that. So yeah. our son lives in Houston. He can't be on our Spotify account because his IP address is really different. And Spotify looks at that and they say, No, no, no. Yeah. Um, you you're in trouble. But but Netflix has turned a blind eye to that. Yeah. And they're going to start cracking down on that. And that's, you know, fine, right? That that part I don't really care about. But the other things that are super interesting. One of them is that they suggested, well, they are going to put in place uh, an advertising supported tier that brings commercials back to these shows. And well, first and foremost, I can't watch broadcast television anymore with the commercials. Like, I just can't. I hated broadcast television before. When TiVo came out 20 years ago, I loved my TiVo. TiVo was amazing. And one of the things I loved about TiVo was the bloop, bloop, bloop. You could just uh, uh, go past commercials, right? You could record something or you could start it late, like 10 minutes after a, a, a half an hour show and the commercials came up with bloop, bloop, bloop. You could just, you know, uh, move your weight right through them. They had I think a, you could actually record that little sound effect, Jason, and, and market that formally. You could yeah. probably, you know, it could even be a YouTube short. 
knows? It really could be. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I loved my TiVo. And in fact, when, when uh, everything moved to digital and, and TiVo became less of a deal, I missed everything about the TiVo interface, but it was the commercials, right? Well, and streaming services come along and Netflix doesn't have commercials and Hulu doesn't have commercials, although you got to buy your way out of the commercials. Uh, 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 but it was two more dollars a month uh, to do that. And, um, you know, all these services don't have commercials. And the thing that's super interesting to me about that is that I just don't know why you would go back to that, even if it gets it, it gets it a little more cheaply. So that's one of the issues, right? And Wes, are you still with me? Well, my connection's working. Hello? Oh. Well, and I appear to have lost Dr. Fryer, so wait for him to jump back on. One of the things that I, I, I think is, is, is problematic is that a lot of the things that Netflix are suggesting, um, uh, the Nef, I'm sorry, the Nef, Netflix is suggesting is, is really, uh, it just takes away from the magic of the service. Uh, advertising is one of them. Another example is that they are talking about, um, uh, 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 getting rid of, uh, dropping series all at once, right? So, uh, dropping entire seasons of, of series. And, you know, I know not, not everyone likes to binge watch, but it's been something that's really changed my relationship with television shows. And, and, and one of the reasons why that's the case for me is that to be very frank, I sometimes forget when it, when I have to wait a week or two between episodes about what happened, it's just better for me to binge watch a season. And I'm not talking about watching it, you know, uh, completely. Hi, Dr. Fryer. Welcome back, sir. Okay. My audio's back on. Hey. Fast for the internet to, sorry. Good job. Continuing the monologue. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you're you're a little uh, video's hazy, and I'm only getting a little bit of your audio. But um, suffice to say that I just think that these changes, you know, I I hope they don't risk the model of streaming television and the wonderful things about streaming television in order to get, um, I in order to get uh you know uh profitability, right? Like I would be willing to pay more. I'm not sure how much more, but more to make sure the, the, the service stays as is. Hey, Wes. Sorry. Oh, wait, now we have, we have triple. We have two Wes's and just one of me. I know. And I, how do I even boot this other one out? I don't know if that's my, ah, uh, yeah. It may be time <laughs> to wrap up the show. Jason. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm lucky to, I'm lucky to be here at all. With all <laughs> I, I like the triple one and then I'll get down. So, okay. All right. Well, yeah. Wes, um, why don't you share your geek of the week? I think this is fate telling us that we need to wrap up this week's episode. Okay, so I will freely admit to you that I have not extensively uh, tried this Geek of the Week yet, but I think it's super fascinating. So I mentioned last week I was uh, part of the, the Summer Institute in Digital Literacy, 
This is the third year I've been on faculty. Um, I participated since 2019. It is absolutely wonderful. This is one of my tribes and my communities. One of the resources shared during the um, presentation is called The Misinformation Game, a, soul, a social media um, simulation. And so the tweet, <clears throat> which actually I'll, I'll put a direct link into it. This is on GitHub, which that's the Geek Quotient. Am I, are you hearing me okay? Am I, yeah. Is my, okay, sound great. Uh, all right. So the, the, I have, I have limited knowledge and, and skills in, you know, downloading from GitHub and, and installing, but they do have an example game. And basically what you're set up to do here is be on a social media platform. Uh, and you start out with, well, what you want to do, I think, is to win credibility and followers. You start out with zero followers and like 50 credibility. Um, but you're presented with different uh, pieces of content. And then you decide to like or not like or or basically sh share, like retweet, or you can skip. Um, but it's a simulation. And I think that simulations can be really powerful tools in the classroom for getting students to actively participate in the lesson, but be a catalyst for really good conversation. So I'm excited to see this. I want to look into it further. And I was excited to learn about that last week at the, um, the Summer Institute in Digital Literacy. So I'll put that link into the show notes. And I'll also um, make sure I have a link to the just example that they have. But I think it's designed for you to download. There's, there's studies that people are doing around this uh, simulation, but it's out there free for anybody to utilize. How about you, sir? Yeah, I just want to share that there's an event going on next week uh, that uh, uh, might be of interest to you. It's Adobe's Digital Summit uh, that's happening uh, three days next week that uh, uh, might be interesting or useful to you. But um, I think I attended their last, and I think it was last summer when they did a digital one online. I learned a lot of information. I learned more about kind of Adobe's broad K-12 uh, uh, efforts, which I think is interesting, especially if you are uh, in, in that space, uh, creation space in the class. So, well, Wes, uh, it looks like we are at the top of the hour, uh, minus a couple minutes where <laughs> where uh, we were both floating in and out. Um, uh, where can people find you on the Internet? I am uh, W Fryer on Twitter, and my um, page that has all of my social media links is westfryer.com slash after. How about you? I'm at TechSavvyTeach, the best place to find me um, on the Internet. Um uh, and otherwise, I bet that's the best place to find me. But this year isn't about uh, Wes and I's internet handles. We're more than that. We're the EdTech Situation. We're a once-a-week podcast uh, that is on Wednesday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central. We'll be moving later this summer to uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time as Dr. Fryer moves to a whole new time zone. Um, we hope you can come here live. Uh, you can get the link every week at our uh, EdTech Situation Room uh, Twitter feed, EdTechSR, EdTechSR.com, or live on Facebook or, or uh, YouTube. If you don't or can't join us live, download us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, or you can download the podcast itself at EdTechSR.com. Uh, stay safe, stay savvy. We hope you have a great week. We hope you see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night, everybody. Night.